before we start, we do have our annual family meeting tomorrow night on Zoom. Let me encourage you to come. We are making one constitutional change. Uh, basically, that I'll be pastor for life. Uh, <laughs> constitutional change. Um, but one of the things that is happening is our esteemed treasurer, David Costello, after a number of amazing years of service, is stepping down and we're going to be appointing Matt Harkinson as our new treasurer. So from one financial wizard to another. Isn't that amazing? But we're going to say David and... Um, what a blessing, what a blessing. Well, Victoria and I went back from a week's holiday. We've been up visiting Pete and Vinnie, who are old members of this church, in Agnes Waters, four hours north of Noosa. And uh, we had a wonderful time. We went out to the reef, swam with turtles. Then we went down to Harvey Bay. We hired a four-wheel drive. We, we drove Fraser Island. We swam in Lake Mackenzie. And I sometimes just think, what a life. We're giving to my children. Like, what an absolute, you know, absolute blessing. And then we got home to Sydney, and the first night I'm transferring Luca to bed, and he often sleep talks um, as I transfer him to bed. He was completely out, completely out of sleep. And he just says, Dad, you're the worst dad ever. <laughs> So anyhow, maybe it's Thailand or Bali. We'll just keep going up the holidays until we meet something that's appropriate to his needs and desires. Um, <laughs> what's going on in that subconscious? Uh, thank you, Greg, for preaching while we were away. Uh, that was a blessing. Uh, Greg finished our series on the Holy Spirit, and I've still got this image permanently in my mind now of Greg as a hippie in the Jesus People movement. Wearing flares and you know big glasses, so I think it's been one of the best series that we've we've done. And I always try and think, what have we learned, and what might have shifted in our faith as a result? And hopefully, at the very least, through this series, you've seen how thoroughly biblical the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Um, our Bibles are just soaked in the language of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then hopefully we've also seen that the Holy Spirit is for us now. Um, this is about God's empowering presence, not just for the remarkable manifestations and miracles, and we love all of that, but also just for the empowering to be a Christian in the world today. Um, so we are going to be moving on now, uh, but that doesn't mean our services won't still be seeking the amazing presence of God. So in the lead up to the 10th birthday weekend, I just want to do a little series on the boundless riches of the gospel. For me, you know, this is, this is a season of thanksgiving. Um, I see that, you know, Dan and Kat are here this morning from Newcastle and, you know, they've been at the church for 10 years till they, till they left us and moved to Newcastle. But, but so many people we've just done life with for so many years. Um, and you know, I mean, Dan was 18 when he came to the church, and what a joy it's been to see these people get married and others, you know, begin to have families. And so, what a joy that we're celebrating 10 years since this church was planted. So, don't miss out. Um, please do use the QR code today and register. 
because that is going to be an amazing weekend. But this little series that we're going to do, I just want us to be reminded that we must always keep in the church the main thing, the main thing. And that's Jesus, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of our lives. And the remarkable things that follow from following Jesus that brings into our lives. You know, when we read Paul's letters in the Bible, um, that's a lot of what it's about. He writes these letters and he often tells the story about how he'd become a Christian. And then he often clarifies the elements of the gospel. And then he, he kind of just encourages us to, to live a life as Cass prayed, worthy of the gospel. Um, that we might live these remarkable lives blessed by the fact that we follow Christ. For Paul, it started with becoming a messenger for the gospel after his revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then what Paul saw his job as was revealing the mysteries of God now manifest through Jesus that brings you and I into this family, into this family, into the people of God. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read this morning verses 2 to 9. Ephesians 3, verse 2 to 9. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this Gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of His power, and although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Amen. Now for Paul, uh, this part of the letter in Ephesians is deeply personal. He recounts how he found himself a servant, verse 7, of this great unravelling story of God's mission into the world. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. You guys know the story. God begins his involvement, I guess, with humanity uh, and his people in the book of Genesis with a guy named Abraham. He promises in a covenant with Abraham that he will be blessed and that all families will be blessed through this one family and his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. There's a reason to believe the Christian faith. Here we are, six, seven thousand years later, and that promise to Abraham has come through. There's 2.3 billion Christians around the world today. And from that story, God reveals his character and faithfulness to the people who become Israel 
And that goes on through the ups and downs of their nation. So from slavery in Egypt to the Exodus, to the giving of the law, to the settlement in the promised land, to the beginning of their kings like David. It's all about God revealing himself to and through a people. Let me say that again. God's mission is all about revealing himself to and then through a people. But here's the thing. There's always this tension between being set apart from the other nations. That's the Gentiles. Hate to break it to you. That's us. And then uh, still being this blessing to the families of the world. So as Paul says, it's a mystery. God has chosen to act through a people. But now he says the time has come when God's mission of forming a new humanity is now through Jesus and it is to expand to all peoples on earth. And Paul, this originally a persecutor of the early Christians, gets chosen to explain this mystery to people like the people in the city of Ephesus. So that in Jesus, verse 6, they have all become sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That is the mystery which Paul is now revealing. Um, Leslie Newbigin, who is a missionary to India, uh, he then came back to the UK. And when he left the UK, it was a Christian society. When he came back 30 years later, it had kind of become a post-Christian society. And so he's helped many of us understand the gospel in a pluralistic society, right? That is a society with many views, many religions, many philosophies. And he says, it's a bit of a mystery, right? Why would God do things the way he does? Like, seriously, why? <laughs> you know, why did he start with one nation, Israel? And then why bring it together at one particular moment in history in Jesus Christ and, and, and what about other religions and what about other claims on truth and, and what about this and what about that and you know, the big questions what about people who haven't heard the gospel verse 5 even references people in other generations it's a bit of a mystery and ultimately in these things I have to trust God and his character that his ways are higher than my ways but one of the things that Newbigin said, he said the gospel was the open secret. The gospel is the open secret. Because we believe that in the mysteries of God are no longer a mystery. The secret is now open. Right? John 1 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. Right? We've seen it. So Paul in verse 9 says his role in preaching is to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So it still needs to be preached. In other words, this mystery still needs to be explained to the world, to, to you and to I. But it's open. It's a free gift. And it's available to you and to me. And I love that. It still is a secret, isn't it? We live in a country where the vast majority of people could not articulate what the Christian faith is. And I think that became particularly evident this week. 
Uh, in fact, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald saying exactly that yesterday. The vast majority of people do not know in our society what Christianity is. Many people who are young only know Jesus as a swear word. But it is open and it is be, to be preached to everyone freely. Now here's what Newbigin said. He said, It is entrusted to those whom God has given the gift of faith by which the weakness and the foolishness of the cross is now known as the power and wisdom of God. The weakness and the foolishness of the cross is now known as the power and wisdom of God. One of the things I love about this building that we've inherited from our denomination is it's beautiful, but it's, it's very plain. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've gone into Anglican or Catholic churches and there's pictures of the gospel and saints and you know very elaborate altars and so on. But this building, although we have some lovely stained glass windows, it's not ordained with saints or images from the Bible. Uh, part of that is our Baptist history. And Baptists reacted in the Reformation against the, you know, the, the adoration of icons and saints. And they actually, yeah, they were a bit naughty. They used to go into churches and smash stained glass windows. So that's your great-great-grandparents, people. Well done. <laughs> But I want us all just to turn around for a second because there is one, there is only one image in this entire church in our stained glass windows. And that's the one right at the top up there. Have a look. And what you'll see is that in the absolute highest place in our church is a crown of thorns. I love that. Because what we exalt as the power and wisdom of God is what seems to the world as the weakness and the foolishness of what we believe. That we believe in a saviour who laid down his life amongst common criminals as the suffering servant. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says this. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen? Just one more note, when we have weddings in this church, we often turn it around. Like Dan and Kat, when they got married here, they got married under that stained glass window. And they got married underneath a crown of thorns. Isn't that cool? I love that this open secret of the gospel is about a loving saviour who comes to serve and not be served. Who lays down his life for you and I. And so in marriage and so in the Christian life, the way of Jesus becomes the way of us, his followers. We down, lay down our lives so that others may have life. So Paul in verse 2, he calls the administration of God's grace, that's what he saw his role as, administering the grace of God, the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. He says, that was given to me for you. So he saw his role 
in this great unfolding revelation of God to the world, he saw himself as being part of that family that was then to be a blessing to all other nations. His story was about being uniquely called to the mission to the Gentiles, which we can read about in Acts chapter 2 and on. So verse 2 goes on. That is the mysteries made known to me by revelation. And that's kind of the open secret, that God has now revealed himself. We are the people of the revelation. And we need revelation. Um, Many of you know that I've got two older brothers. I could ask you, what does my oldest brother look like? And he doesn't live here in Sydney. Um, You could guess, perhaps, what he looks like. Maybe you'd look at me and think maybe he's a bit bald as well. How's it? My doctor once said to me that I was a bit short for my weight. (laughs) Um, But you'd be guessing what he looks like, right? Well, actually not this morning, because he's actually sitting there. He's actually here from Adelaide this morning. So, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's actually deeply annoying. He's six foot three and got a full head of hair. <laughs> but now there's no guessing, right? You can meet him this morning. He's a lovely guy. He's a bit like me. <laughs> but that's what Paul did. That's what we're here to do. We are to introduce to people who we believe God is because we have met him in Jesus Christ. We know him personally. The Greek word for revelation is the word apocalypso. And it means the opening of a door or the pulling back of a curtain to reveal what has been hidden. And maybe that's a little challenge for all of us. We can play our part in the great revealing of the mysteries of God. Um, next weekend, I won't be here. Um, Victoria and I, we're going to be going out to Orange to take Katie and Ollie's wedding. It's going to be such a great celebration. I, went to, I was in high school with Katie. And one of the privileges for me at this wedding, which is largely going to be a non-Christian wedding, is I get to talk about Jesus. I get to preach about how wonderful he is and what a difference following his commands to love makes in marriage. So what I'm going to be doing at the wedding is I'm going to be doing some apocalypso. I'm going to be revealing who Jesus is to people who don't know him. So you can play your part in that, guys. Uh, You don't have to know every mystery. You don't have to know every bit of theology. But you can say something about what you know who God is since you met him in Christ. Alright, here's the thing I want to finish on today. And it's just, what is that message? What is the heart of what Paul preached? I love verse 8 of Ephesians 3. Because I think Paul is summarising the whole thing. For Paul, who had poured his whole life into following Jesus since the encounter on the road to Damascus, the message could be described in a little phrase. He called it the boundless riches of Christ. Amen? Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The Greek word for riches is plutos. It means a plentiful supply, an abundance, a plenitude. 
So Plutos literally described in Greek material prosperity and riches and wealth. It refers to an abundance of possessions exceeding the norm. In the English, we get words like plutocrat, uh, which brings the two Greek words, plutos and krat, wealth and power together. So what Paul preached to the Gentiles in Ephesus was the boundless plutos of Christ, the riches of knowing Christ. And Paul, I guess, is speaking from his own experience in his life. That is his story, that in Christ he had received the boundless riches of knowing Jesus. You know, he wrote this letter from prison, and yet he still felt he was the richest man in the world. Isn't that good? He'd gone from a hate-filled persecutor of Christians to the apostle of love to the Gentiles. One New Testament commentator, Kent Hughes, puts it this way. He says, what are the implications of this? Primarily, that Christ always enriches life. Christ never subtracts from life. He always enriches it with untrackable riches. Right? Amen? Can you testify to that? It's big, right? In knowing Christ and proclaiming it, in Jesus, everything is enriched. You know, following Jesus, we too, like Paul, should be able to testify to the abundant things, the wealth of blessings that we've received. Can you think of an area of your life that Christ has not touched, that has not been blessed? Your relationship with God, clearly enriched. Your relationships, your marriage, clearly enriched. Your sense of purpose, clearly enriched. Having community and friendship, clearly enriched. You know, what a joy to help with the dedications of Jack and Sienna this morning. And for those who've got kids here, I don't know about you, I want a lot of things for my children as they get older. A little bit of gratitude would be a good place to start. But, <laughs> but the main thing that I want for my children is for them to know Jesus. Now that's obviously because I care about their salvation. But in the here and now, I know that there is not an area of their life that won't be enriched by them knowing Jesus. Yeah. Amen? Now nothing's a guarantee. No one knows what curveballs life is going to throw at you. But statistically, we know if they follow Jesus, they will have better mental health outcomes. They will have better marriages. They will have lower rates of addiction. They will probably join a community like this where they will be loved and find friendship and support. I mean, are you with me? In becoming a Christian, can you not testify that following Jesus has helped? John 10.10 stuff. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay. 1 Timothy 1 tells us the grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly. So there is not an area of your life that knowing and following Christ will not enrich. You know, if I can get personal for a minute, I know that my life outside of Christ would have been a train wreck. (laughs) He has saved me from so many destructive tendencies and dispositions. And in the positive, he has blessed me into this wonderful marriage and enriched my life in every way. And I do not know what life would be like if I did not know Jesus. I was reading an article a while back about Abraham Piper. He's one of 
Uh, He's a son of a well-known pastor in America and he's rejected his family's faith. And he's amassed almost a million TikTok followers with these pithy videos mocking the Christian faith. There's a lot of mockers out there these days. And I get that he's probably reacting against a certain strain of the church and who knows what his upbringing was like. But here's the thing, his basic message to young people was just get drunk and get laid. Right? Throw off your faith. Live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. And it makes me sad because you know what I believe is the exact opposite. I feel that knowing Jesus will never subtract from life. It will only enrich every area that it touches. In your relationships, you will learn that it's not just about getting your own way or or, or, or getting laid or whatever these people. Jesus will teach you how to love unconditionally. To forgive when you are hurt. To serve when you feel like being served. Everything Jesus will touch in your life if you are obedient. If you put it into practice will help. So Paul preached the boundless riches of Christ. Let me finish with this. Many of you know John Newton, a drunk slave trader who experienced the unfathomable riches of Christ. And he went from being a slave trader to being a pastor and the author of hymns such as Amazing Grace. And late in John Newton's life, a pastor friend noticed that he was showing signs of old age. And he urged him to stop preaching, to take life easy. What, he replied, shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak at all? And he wrote his own epitaph. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, Pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had so long laboured to destroy. Late in life he said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Amen? Let's stand together.